Turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 5. We're continuing, of course, our study really of the, the nation of Israel, but we're really looking at the kings. We're looking at the third king. We started with Saul, the first king, David, the second king, and now we're looking at Solomon as the third king, and we're looking at his reign, and that gave him wisdom. In fact, it says he's the wisest person who ever lived, and not only that, but he got riches and honor and power. And this, as we begin to see chapter 5, we're going to see something amazing. We're going to see that Solomon was raised up by God to complete the task of building the temple for God in Jerusalem. Now, you talk about the temple. Remember, in the wilderness with Moses, they built what they call a tabernacle. It was a temporary dwelling place. It was a big tent. Had an altar out front, had a place to, to wash, and then there was a front room and a back room, and the back room was the Ark of the Covenant. That's called the tabernacle. A temple is going to be a permanent building. Solomon gets to build this permanent building, and we see how they did it and what they did. Just amazing. We'll begin seeing just a start of that this morning. Uh, uh, Solomon really comes and, um, and gets some help from a man by the name of Hiram, king of Tyre. We'll talk more about that. Let me give you some things to think about. How do we accomplish the ministry of this local body? Second, as we think of the temple, where is God's temple now? And then the third, we're going to see Hiram and Solomon make an agreement. And we'll see that as we go through it. Well, let's, let's raise the question, how do we carry out the ministry of the local body, of the believers. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he basically said, every believer has spiritual gifts to use within the body to equip the saints to do the ministry to build up the church. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 12, he said that we work together in the body to bring about the ministry of the local body, each one having various gifts, talents, and abilities. That means every one of you in this room that you have spiritual gifts uh, abilities, talents, that together we do the ministry. There's no such thing as the Lone Ranger Christian. There's no such thing as one or two people trying to do the ministry. It is the body of Christ coming together to make an impact for Jesus Christ. Ephesians 4 says it's the proper working of every individual part causes the growth of the body. The reason I start off with that is we're going to see that God uses Solomon, Hiram, king of Tyre, and a large number of workers to complete the temple. Solomon didn't do it by himself, and a few people didn't do it. It took many people to build that temple. And we're going to see it took seven years to build it. We're going to talk about how big it is, and we'll see some of those things as we go through it. This morning, I want you to think about working together in ministry, understanding covenants, because we're going to talk about that toward the end, and realize that all of those who have trusted in Jesus Christ, and I hope and pray that's every one of us, that you have trusted in Christ, that you realize you're the temple of God today. And we'll talk more about that in just a little bit. Solomon is now the king. Everything looks good. He's ruling. We have seen that uh, God, God came to Solomon and said, what do you want? Solomon said, I want wisdom. God said, I'm not only going to give you wisdom, I'm going to give you riches and honor and power and everything. And we saw his reputation has grown amazing. That Those two we saw last week, two women came and they were arguing over a baby. And we saw the wisdom of Solomon and everybody went, wow, he is so wise. Well, this morning, we're going to see Solomon is preparing for the biggest event of his life, and that is the building of the temple. You know, Solomon knew on the front end what was going to be the biggest end of it, the biggest thing of his life, and that's to build the temple. Now, there's going to be in your life, there are going to be some big things that God uses you to do. Sometimes you might think you know it ahead of time. Sometimes you may look back and say, wow, I can't believe how God 
used me there. You could think like that. So we're going to see Solomon knows he's supposed to build the temple. Look at this right here. This is First Chronicles. It says, David is speaking. And of all my sons, for the Lord has given me many sons, he has chosen my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. And he said to me, this is God saying to David, your son Solomon is the one who shall build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be a son to me, and I'll be a father to him. Solomon already knows. He knows his job is to build a temple. David wanted to build it. God said, you can't build it. You're a man of war. It's got to be peace. So David defeats all the enemies, and when Solomon comes, it's peace everywhere. In fact, the name was, we talked about it over and over. The name Solomon comes from Shalom, which means peace. Now, Solomon has been, uh, God has raised up Solomon to build the temple. Now, let me ask you this question. Why has he raised you up? Why are you here? What does he want to do with your life? Realize that God has a plan for each of our lives. He created us. He saved us. He gives us. He empowers us. He has a plan for our lives to be used for his glory. If you go to Psalm 139, he talks about that we're fearfully and wonderfully made, and he even has a plan for our lives. So why are you here? What does God want to do with your life for his glory? Uh, there's no one like you. You're special and unique. When you look around, you'd say, well, people are all the same. No, they're not. Everyone is made in the image of God. Everyone is special and unique. And every one of us who know Jesus Christ as Savior have God's power in us, and God has a plan for our lives. Let me give you, just as we get ready to get into the passage, let me give you the, the outline of that we're going to see the covenant made between Solomon and Hiram. We're going to see the people that is involved. <clears throat> and the one thing I want you to, to think about is in the same way that it took a lot of people to build the temple, it takes every one of us to do the ministry that God has for us to do. So we'll think about that as we go through it. We're going to also see a covenant, a covenant between Hiram and Solomon. We'll talk about what a covenant is, what that means, and how does God work with us. So look at chapter 5, 1 Kings 5, look at verse 1. <clears throat> now Hiram, king of Tyre, sent his servants to Solomon when he heard that he had been anointed uh, that uh, he had anointed him king in the place of his father. For Hiram had always been a friend of David. Now, here's what happened. Hiram found out that Solomon has been, an, been appointed as the king, been anointed as the king. And so who is this Hiram? It says Hiram was king of Tyre. Now, this is a modern map. So there's Egypt, there's Jordan, there's Damascus, there's Lebanon, there's Israel. If you notice, there's a city called Tyre. It's still there. And, if, and, and here's Israel. This is like the Golan Heights right there. This is Lebanon, Damascus. So here is, in, in the time of David, in the time of Solomon, here's where Solomon lived in Jerusalem. Here's where Hiram lived. <clears throat> he was the king of Tyre. We'll get more on that in just a little bit as we go through it. But notice it says, Hiram sent messengers down there and because he had always been a friend. Uh, David and Hiram had been friends. And it, let me just say this. It's really unique because when it says that Hiram had always been a friend of David, it literally in the Hebrew says he loved David. And so it's a really good relationship between Hiram, who's king of Tyre. And you know that when David died, Hiram went, wow, David, a great man is gone. But Solomon is now 
the king. And so look what he does. So he sends people down there to say, "Thank, I'm glad you're going to be the king. Verse 2, then Solomon sent word to Hiram saying, you know that, my, that David, my father, was unable to build a house for the name of the Lord, his God, because of the wars which surrounded him until the Lord put them under the soles of his feet. He says, you know, my dad always wanted to build the temple, but he couldn't do it. In fact, I couldn't do it because there was always war. And eventually, when he says here in this passage, he did, he put the enemies under the soles of his feet. That's like saying, my dad, David, stomped on his enemies and put them down so they won't fight anymore. And so now there is peace. So watch what Solomon says. But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side. There is neither adversary nor misfortune. Now Solomon says that as if he did something, but he didn't. David did it all. David defeated every one of the enemies around him, and David is, 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 has done it all. Solomon has come to power, and in order to keep peace, as you remember, we said Solomon's a politician. David was a warrior. Solomon's a politician. He makes these alliances. Solomon makes alliances. We already saw that he made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married Pharaoh's daughter. And we said that in the long run, that's not what he should have done. And we'll see how that ties together. So what happens here? He says um, <clears throat> that here's what Solomon decides he wants to do. Verse 5, Behold, I intend to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. As the Lord spoke to David my father, saying, Your son, whom I will set on your throne in your place, he will build a house for my name. So uh, Solomon says, I get to build a house. Now I want you to notice something. He didn't say, I'm building a house for David. It was not a name for David. It was the name of the Lord. And what we do is for the glory of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen, whatever we do, whenever you get to serve, whenever you get to lead someone to Christ, whenever you get to talk to somebody about the Bible, whenever you get to teach the Bible, whenever you get to share, whenever you get to help make disciples, it is not for you. It's for the glory of God. And whatever we should do is when, God, when people say something like, you did good or that was really good, just say, grace of God. He's so good. He is. And so this temple, this building is not for David and it's not for Solomon. It's for the glory of God. And that's how we should live. And that's how we should think about what we do. It's for the glory of God. Remember this verse, I gave it to you a while ago. It said, God said to David, this is to David, your son Solomon is the one who shall build my house and my courts. Now stop there. Uh, we saw the rest of the verse a while ago. He's going to build it. Now let me just tell you something. <clears throat> we're going to see in a little bit, uh, we're going to start talking about the temple, and in chapter 6, 7, and 8, all of there, we're going to actually see the building of the temple. And I found, I've got uh, drawings and charts, and I'm going to try to show all that stuff to us, to how they built it. When you think about the temple, uh, it wasn't that big of a building. 
And yet, it was, it was twice as big as the tabernacle, but it wasn't that big a building. And yet, it was made out of these giant stones and timber and covered over with gold. It was amazing. It would be one of the wonders of the world. And uh, we'll talk more about it in just a minute, just a little bit as we look at it. So he says, I intend to build it. And so God is faithful to carry out his word. God has raised up Solomon to fulfill the plan. Now, <clears throat> Solomon has a sense of purpose. Think about it. If you came to Solomon and said, why do you think you are king of Israel? He would say, God raised me up to rule these great people and to build the temple for God. What about your life? Why do you think, and I mentioned it a while ago, why do you think God has you here? It's not just to go through life. It's not to get to the end of your life and say, well, wasn't that good? <laughs> wasn't that great? Why has God got you here? You know he has gifted you. You have talents. You have abilities. God is going to, he's given you his power through you. Why does he have you here? What does he want you to do? How, what lives does he want you to affect as he will use you? Wow. I think of Psalm 139 again. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. There'll never be another you. Thank goodness. But no, the truth is, there'll never be another you. Each one of us is unique and special. Why does he have us here? Let me show you something. Do we have a, do we have a sense of purpose? Matthew 28, 18 through 20, we're to make disciples that lead the people to Christ and train them and equip them. Do you realize that's why you're here? If you came to me and said, I don't know why I'm on this earth, I can say, I can tell you some of the reasons you're on this earth. One is to make disciples. You're to use the gifts, talents, and abilities you have to lead people to Christ and then train them and equip them. You remember our sign out front? It says Stillwater Bible Church, and under that it says, proclaiming Christ, training believers. That's why we started this church to make disciples so that each one of us could fulfill the plan that God has for us. If you notice in 2 Corinthians, we have the ministry of reconciliation. We get to tell people how they can be brought into a, a relationship with Jesus Christ. So the question that we could ask each one of us, are we fulfilling God's plan for our lives? Why does he have you here? What does he want you to do? How can we be faithful? Because that's the key. And let me, let me just say this. The key to the whole thing is faithfulness. We've talked about it over and over again. It's not that uh, you're smart or sharp or rich or famous. All he says is just be faithful. Be faithful to do what I have for you to do. Well, watch what happens. Here is Solomon. It says in verse 6, now, therefore, Solomon is writing, talking to <clears throat> Hiram. Now, therefore, command that they cut for me cedars from Lebanon, and that my servants will be with your servants, and I will give you wages for your servants according to all that you say, for you know that there is no one among us who knows how to cut timber like Sidonians. He says, listen, I've got a request. David says, I need your help. And he's going to need Hiram's help. And before the passage is over, we're going to see how many people help build the temple. And here's a great question for us. What do you need? 
You need help. We're all in this together. We're all in these ministries together. And you're, you can't do things by yourself. Got to have the fellow believers to help meet together and serve. Realize that we serve our God, but we do not serve him alone. Um, I think about the body of Christ. Look at this. This is what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 12, 12. He says, even as the body is one but has a lot of members, so all of the members of the body, yet there are many, so also is, so is, so, so is there's one body, so also is Christ. Just like the body is one body but many members, the body of Christ is one body but many members. We're the members. We make up the body of Christ. We make it function. He says in 1 Corinthians twelve eighteen. but now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desires. You're exactly where God wants you to be. You have the gifts, the talents, the abilities that God has given you to serve within the body of Christ. Let me just say something about spiritual gifts. <clears throat> A lot of believers don't understand uh, about spiritual gifts or even know what their gifts are. If you want to go to our website under resources, we actually have a thing called a spiritual gift inventory. You can go to that, press on it, and you can answer some questions. And at the end, it'll give you an idea. It's not, we're not saying it's going to tell you your spiritual gift, but it will give you ideas of where you might be gifted, of what your spiritual gifts might be. If you don't want to do that, just come by the office. We have them in the office. We'll give it to you, and you can fill it out. Who knows? You may fill that out and realize you have the gift of helps, or you have the gift of mercy, or you have the gift of leadership, or you have the gift of teaching. Who knows what your gifts are? And when you know what they are, then you can serve. You can say, I have the gift of teaching. I need to find a place to teach. If I have the gift of serving, I need to find a place to help people. Those kind of things. That's what we do. He says, this is what's so amazing. He says in Ephesians 4, 16, according to the proper working of each individual part of the body, it causes the growth of the body. You realize that every one of us in this room when we use our gifts, talents, and abilities, and we're all working together, it causes the growth of the body of Christ, which is the church. And so that's why we should be serving. We should be working together. Well, Solomon comes and says, Oh, King Hiram, uh, I need your help. Would you cut down your cedar trees? Because y'all are the best cedar tree cutters there ever been. Y'all, have, y'all know what to do. We need them. So look what happened. When Hiram heard the words of Solomon, he rejoiced greatly and said, Blessed be the Lord today who has given to David a wise son over his people. King Hiram says, Wow, God is blessed because he put a wise son on the throne. You know, he he loved David. Hiram and David got along together really well. Now that David is dead, Hiram now says, Solomon is just like his dad. He's a wise son. He's going to be great. And he's that. So he says, I will do what you ask. Look at verse 8. So Hiram sent word to Solomon saying, I have heard the message which you have sent me. I will do what you desire concerning the cedar and cypress timber. He says, I'll do exactly what you said. I'll cut these trees down. I'll get them for you. And, And you realize that they needed, and listen to this, they needed big stones to build the temple. They needed big timber to build the temple. And they needed gold and silver 
to build the temple. And so we're going to find that they're going to go out and they're going to get the stones and they're going to cut the stones and bring them to Jerusalem. They're going to, call, they're going to get King Hiram to get the big timber. And how are they going to get these big timber? Watch this. They're going to take the trees. Look what, look what he says in verse 9. He said, my servants will bring them down from Lebanon to the sea. That's the Mediterranean Sea. I will make them into rafts to go by sea to the place where you direct me. I will have them broken up there and you shall carry them away. Then you shall accomplish my desire by giving food to my household. He says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to cut down the trees. We're going to take them to the Mediterranean Sea. We're going to tie them together. We're going to float them down the Mediterranean Sea. Let me put this up. They're going to cut the trees up here. They're going to put them in the water. They're going to float them all the way down here. They're going to undo them, and they're going to bring them across. Now, you could say, well, why didn't they just try to go like this? This is mountains. This is the Golan Heights right there. They'd have to go through mountains with these huge logs, these huge timber. So they said, here's what we'll do. We'll just tie them together, float them down, and bring them across. That's what they're going to do. Now, notice the end of the verse. uh, Verse 9, he says, Then you shall accomplish my desire by giving food to my household. He says, here's the deal. I'm going to give you timber. You're going to give me food. You're going to provide for my kingdom. I'm going to give you the timber. So that's going to be the swamp. And we're going to see this covenant that they make. And so he says, what does he say? He says, you'll supply us with food. And so verse, basically verse 10 uh, says, so Hiram gave Solomon as much as he desired of the cedar and the cypress timber. By the way, they're going to do this year by year. And you realize that it took seven years to build the temple. You know, people like build a house and they say, how long is it going to take you to build a house? Oh, by over a year, maybe a year, a little more than a year. Seven years. Now, there's something I brought out in the first service. It's not really in the passage. We'll see it later. They built these, the, the, the whole foundation of the temple were made out of giant stones. If you've ever, I went to Israel in 1976, and, and there's a place called the Wailing Wall, and the Wailing Wall is the backside of the, old, of the temple, the only part that's left. And you see these giant stones, I mean giant stones. Do you realize what they did? They took those stones, and they cut those stones away from Jerusalem, and they cut them perfectly, and they brought them to Jerusalem and put the stones together. And they didn't hammer or anything. They did everything away from Jerusalem. And they built the temple with no noise. They said, when we put the stones together, they're going to already fit perfectly so there won't be any hammering. And after the service, somebody came up to me and said, why, are they, um, why didn't they want any hammering? Why didn't they want any noise? It's because it's the holy place. And so they built the temple without a bunch of noise. And they brought in the timbers and they put the thing together. And so notice verse 11. So Solomon then gave Hiram 20,000 cores of wheat as food for his household and 20 cores of beaten oil. Thus Solomon would give Hiram 
year by year. And they made an agreement that every year Solomon would give them this much wheat and this much oil and all of these things. And then every year Hiram would continue to give them the, the, the big trees so they could get it done. This, and so look at verse 12. Then the Lord gave wisdom to Solomon just as he promised him. And there was peace between Hiram and Solomon. And the two of them made a covenant. Now let's talk about a covenant. Look, just don't read any further down. Just look at the first part. Covenant means an agreement. There's two kind of covenants. There's a covenant in which uh, the two people both say they're going to do something. Solomon said, I'll give you all this food. Hiram said, I'll give you all this lumber. And they made a covenant together. Each one had a part. That's called conditional covenants. In the Bible, we find both conditional covenants and unconditional covenants. An unconditional covenant is where one of the parties says they will do something. The other party doesn't have to do anything. God made with mankind an unconditional covenant dealing with salvation. God has made a covenant with mankind going all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. When Adam and Eve sinned, God came in and said, I make a covenant with you. I will send the seed of woman who will crush the head of the serpent and bring salvation to mankind. It's unconditional because God has his part. Man doesn't have a part. God does it all. And so these people, Hiram and Solomon, made a conditional covenant. Each one has something to do. In the Bible, we find the unconditional covenant that God made with mankind in Genesis. He also made another unconditional covenant with mankind. After the flood, when they came off the ark, God said, I'm going to put a rainbow up there, and my covenant is this, I will never destroy the earth by flood. That's unconditional. He decided it. We don't have any part in it. God also made five covenants with the nation of Israel. The covenant that I want to highlight today is the new covenant. It was the last of the five covenants. It's found in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. And this is the covenant that God will make a new covenant with Israel and it's going to be the shed blood of the Messiah who will save mankind. It's unconditional. You remember on the last night, Jesus is with his men. He's about to go get arrested and go to the cross. And he tells them in in what we call the Last Supper, but it was the Passover meal. He takes the, the bread and says, this bread, this is my body. This juice, this is my blood of the new covenant. The new covenant is made with Israel. We reap the benefits. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. It's how we have salvation. Jesus died on the cross to pay for sin and rose again to conquer death. And whoever believes in him will never perish but have everlasting life. That's why in 1 Peter, he writes in verse 18, he says, we're not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And so as Hiram and Solomon made a covenant, God's made a covenant with us and with Israel. And through Israel, he brings the Messiah. That's why when Jesus was talking to the woman at Samaria, and he says, salvation 
is of the Jews. He's talking about the Messiah comes through Israel, through their promises, and that Messiah is the Savior of the world. So we reap the benefits of that covenant. Wow. So thank God for his covenant that by the blood of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, God gives us eternal life simply by faith. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, by grace you say through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. That's, that's the salvation. Well, let's look at the last part. <clears throat> let's get to some details. Now, King Solomon levied forced laborers from all Israel, and the forced laborers numbered 30,000 people. So he got 30,000 people to do something. But let me show you something. Uh, it looks like 30,000 people from Israel, but it, they weren't Jewish people. If you go to Second Chronicles chapter 8, it says Solomon got 30,000 aliens, not Jews. And he put them together, and he put them in groups of 10,000. And 10,000 would go up to Lebanon and help them get the wood and bring it down. And they would do that for a month. And then that 10,000 would rest and another 10,000 would go. And so you were on one month and you were off two months. Look at verse 14. He sent them to Lebanon 10,000 a month in relays. They were in Lebanon a month and two months at home. And Edenarim was over the forced laborers. So they got 30,000 people. You say, wow, that's a lot of people. Well... As they say, you haven't seen anything yet. Notice verse 15. Now Solomon had 70,000 transporters and 80,000 hewers of stone in the mountains. Now those are the hewers of the stones are the ones that I said to you. They went out there. They cut these giant stones. I mean, how they moved them is amazing. We don't even know how they could move those giant stones all that way, but they had them fixed so they fit together perfectly. And when they brought them to Jerusalem, they lined them up and put them together without any noise. Amazing. And so notice he has 70,000 transporters, 80,000 hewers. And so they now have 180,000 people working to build the temple. And it took seven years. Wow, it is amazing. And we're gonna, I've got pictures, the best we can tell now. Of course, temples are gone, so we don't have them, but we have some drawings, we have uh, ideas of what the temple looked like. By the way, <clears throat> there's Solomon's temple, which is this one, and then this one got destroyed. Do you understand that this thing was one, we might say one of the seven wonders of the world? And God told the Jewish people under Jeremiah and Isaiah that, listen, if you don't turn back to me, I will take you off into captivity and I will destroy the temple. And they didn't believe him. They said, this temple is so beautiful, God would never destroy his temple. He came right in there and took them all out, destroyed that temple. They came back and there was a second temple called Zerubbabel's temple. They built that. There was the third temple called Herod's temple at the time of Christ. King Herod took the temple and built onto it magnificently. That one also got destroyed. That was destroyed in 70 AD. There will be another temple in the future, which we call the Antichrist temple. It'll be built during the tribulation. That'll be destroyed. And then there'll be a temple that will be in the thousand-year reign of Christ. It's found in Ezekiel chapters 40 through 48. There'll be a temple built then. And then when you get to the eternal state, there won't be a temple because God 
is the temple. God himself will dwell among his people. So that's what we're going to see as we go through it. And uh, amazing. Let me give you some ideas. So they've got the timber, the food, the wages, the building, the house. How big was the temple? 60 by 20. So, you know, and 90 by 30, that was the two rooms, 45 high. So 90 and 30 long, the back room and, and, the, and the front room all tied together. I'll show you some pictures later. But this was twice as big as the tabernacle. And, and let me tell you, the building was not that big. And yet it was so incredibly beautiful. All those stones, all those, those, that lumber, all that gold, uh, we'll show you as we go through it. Now, so here's the big question. That temple was destroyed, and the next one was destroyed, and the next one was destroyed. There is no temple today. So, where is the temple now? Where does God dwell now? Guess what? He dwells in us. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, What do you not know? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body, do you realize that every one of us in this room that who know Jesus Christ, who have believed in him for eternal life, God lives inside of you. You are the temple. And we go back and we think, wow, they built this giant building, that, you know, the big gold, beautiful building, and that was the dwelling place of God. But he left it. He left the second one. He left the third one. He won't ever be in the fourth one. He'll be in the fifth one. But where is he now? He's in you. You are the dwelling place of God. Your body is where God lives. He's your power. He's your strength. He's your shield. That's what we're supposed to do, live for him. Look at First Peter. He says, you also, he's talking about us, as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house with the temple for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That's who we are. Realize that God is with us. He dwells in us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You know, I said in the first service, that's, that's both good and bad. <laughs> that's good because there's no place we can ever go that he's not with us. That's sometimes bad because there's no, nothing we can ever do that he's not there with us. He's always with us. Your body, my body. The temple of God. We're seeing all this preparation for an earthly temple. And today, you are the earthly temple that God dwells. Amazing. May we live for the glory of God. Being holy, serving, testifying. Let me quickly just finish. So let, let's, let's work together to carry out the work of the Lord. Think about it. What are we supposed to do? Use our spiritual gifts, talents, and abilities. What are your gifts? What are your talents? What are your abilities? I mean, some people have uh, talents. They can play instruments. They can sing. Some people have, uh, every believer has spiritual gifts, God-given gifts for you to serve. And some of you just have abilities, things that you can do. Use those for the glory of God. We're to make disciples. How do we do that? We serve in the body to fulfill the great commission. We are that ministry of reconciliation. So ask yourself this question. Are you serving? Are you using the gifts, talents, and abilities that God's given you to do the ministry? Because remember, we're all in this together. Second, let's realize that, that now we are the temple of God. 
1 Corinthians 3.16, 1 Corinthians 6.19. 1 Corinthians 3 talks about that the temple, and he's talking about the, all of the, the believers at one time are a picture of the temple of God. In 1 Corinthians 6.19, he's talking about each individual believer is the temple of God. And that's who you are. And so what should we do? Be holy and serve and tell people about the light of the world, Jesus Christ. The third thing is, let's thank God for the new covenant. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, it is is fulfilled when Jesus Christ died on the cross, shed his blood, the blood of the new covenant, and whoever believes in him will never perish, but have eternal life. The new covenant, Jesus' death and resurrection, we can have peace with God simply by faith in Jesus Christ and have eternal life.